Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. Okay, so a while back, I was following this competition, and it was kind of like the main event and I wasn't really crazy about either of the people that were competing in this, but I was just kind of following it anyways because, you know, it's entertaining and stuff. Um, and so in one corner, there's this guy that I wasn't really a huge fan of. He was just kind of mean. And in this sport or in this event or whatever, it's pretty common to, like, sling mud at people and act like you're the biggest and the baddest and put people down. Uh, but this guy went a little bit further than what I was comfortable with, and uh, it seemed like also he kind of maybe lived an immoral kind of life just on the regular, and so I wasn't really crazy about this guy. In the other corner was someone that was a little bit more of a traditional competitor in this, and uh, I thought that they were maybe just as sneaky and deceitful, and so I wasn't really crazy about them. So I was watching this. I, I really didn't want to see either of them win uh, this, but uh, just, you know, following it because I was. And so the night of, of this competition came, and it was neck and neck. It came down to the wire in the very last moment. The guy that I talked about first that I really wasn't crazy about ended up winning. So this guy was on the team that I was used to rooting for in the past, and um, even though I didn't, I didn't really like this guy, I didn't really want to see him win, there was part of me that deep down inside was like, yes, that's my team. And maybe even beyond that, like, that shows that other team what, what's coming to them. Like, they did this to themselves. That, that other team, they're, they're garbage, right? So if you're reading between the lines here, I'm not really talking about a boxing match or a UFC fight. Um, I'm talking about a, a political race. I'm talking about um, something that is a little bit bigger than just a sport. Um, and, and so something that I learned from this is that it's really easy for me to throw my allegiance to someone or, or to something, to a political party or to, to a system, right? And I, I don't even realize that I'm doing it, but I'm, I'm putting my trust in them, and I actually have faith that, that that system or that party or whatever is going to make everything right. And, and so that was kind of what was in the back of my head on that night. And so I began to have conversations with people that disagreed with me, and that was really hard to do, um, and to listen to people that thought differently than I did. And through those conversations and through listening to those people, I learned um, kind of what I'm going to tell you today. So what what the i guess like i'm a school academic kind of dude like that's just kind of i'm a nerd so my thesis for today is that we shouldn't put our trust in human princes human powers human politics anything like that there's no system that's going to save us there's no human system that's going to be perfect and we should actually put our trust in jesus instead and we're going to look at how um this uh, the, the part of the Bible that we're going to look at today kind of brings this out in a new way for me. So 
My title is The King and the Kingdom of Heaven, and Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven when he's, when he's preaching. I don't think, I think a lot of times we assume that the kingdom of heaven is this place that we go to after we die, and that it's not really here, it's outside of space or something like that, but actually Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. And so this kingdom isn't, it's not a political kingdom, it's not, it doesn't have any borders, it doesn't have allies and enemies that are, that are, you know, countries, right? This is a spiritual kingdom, and this is actually God's uh, way of bringing salvation to earth, his way of making everything right on earth. And so God actually saves us out of death and into this kingdom. So we're going to look at God as being the good king and his kingdom um, being the best thing that, that we can be a part of. So we're going to be reading from Psalm 146, so we're going to go ahead and, and do that. If you have a Bible with you um, and you open it up to the middle, you'll probably be in Psalms. So just keep going until you get to 146. If you don't have a Bible, as you can see, it's going to be up here on the screen. Can you read that? Is it good? Okay, cool. I, nobody said anything, so I'm guessing that you can. If you don't own a Bible, there's a, probably a yellow one in front of you in the pew. That one's yours now, so take that home and spend some time together and get to know each other. But we're going to go ahead and stand, if that's all right with all of you. If you can, stand, and we're going to read this psalm together. Um, so this is Psalm 146. Ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations Praise the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to give you kind of a breakdown of the structure. You can go ahead and take your seats. You all are so good. If we were playing Simon Says, we would just keep playing it forever because no one would lose. Um, so when I, when I think about this psalm, uh, I'll break it up into a structure so that it's kind of built from the outside in. So if you can tell, there's like an A at the beginning and an A at the end. So those kind of correspond to each other. So there's a call to praise the Lord. And that's kind of like in a setting that we're in right now. We're, we're together. We're assembled together. And we're praising God. And uh, that's, that call is also specifically to Israel. There's a place in, in there where it says, your God, O Zion. So whoever's writing this is writing to the people of Israel. We'll talk about them in a little bit. The second inside part is what I've called B here. 
And it's kind of a contrast between my praise that lasts as long as I live and then is done. And then God's reign is forever. So that's the second and the second to last one. And then the two inside parts that are C, those are what I really want to look at today. And that kind of contrasts these two types of kings or rulers. And the first one is a human king or a prince, right? And we see that they're actually unable to rule effectively. They, they uh, cannot save us. As soon as they die, their plans perish. Those are the things that we see in the psalm. And then God's resume is what I call the other one. God is the good king. And so we see this is what God has done. This is what he does. And so that's how I break this up and how I think about it. We're going to be talking about the two parts that I've called C up here. And we're going to be looking through three lenses at this text. And so the first text is that of Israel. So this would be the original audience of the psalm. The, the people of Israel were, were who, who wrote the psalm. We don't have like an author specifically, but we know that it says, Praise the Lord, your God, O Zion, right? So uh, we're going to look at how they heard this originally, some of their history, um, we're going to look at how this uh, psalm has to do with Jesus. So we believe that the Bible is this collection of books from all different genres, from thousands of years written by people from different backgrounds of all kinds. And this psalm is a meditative poem, but every, everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And so we're going to look at how this points to Jesus. How can we see Jesus? How do we know that he's not just another human prince who can't save us or that... that um, how can we know that Jesus is God? Um, the third lens that we're going to look at is us. So we don't, we don't want to learn things just to learn them. We want to learn things to apply them. And so if, if we come here and we just kind of fill our heads up with knowledge, like, cool, but let's actually figure out how we should live in response to what the Word says. There, there shouldn't be... We shouldn't be learning things just to learn them. We should be learning them so that we can live and look more like Jesus. So what does it look like for us to take the truth out of this psalm and apply it to our lives? So I'm going to jump into the first lens. I'm going to, I'm going to do this in, in halves. So we're going to look at the human ruler through these three lenses, and then we're going to look, through, look at God through these three lenses. So first off, we have Israel. And so... To give you kind of Israel's backstory, Israel is this family that God chose to be his, his set-apart people. And he chose Israel so that they could bring his plan of salvation to the whole world. Okay, So God didn't choose Israel because they were the biggest or the strongest or the toughest or anything like that. God chose them because they were the weakest people. And God actually wanted to be king over Israel. He wanted to rule them and direct them and guide them. Well, Israel, this little family, eventually grows into a nation. And they have all these neighbors that are also nations. And their neighbors have kings. And Israel's sitting here like, why don't we have a king? We need a king. Everybody else has a king. And God actually, he warns them. He's like, I, you shouldn't have a king. I want to rule over you. And so this call in verse 3 to not put your trust in princes, that's something that Israel was probably used to hearing. And if you know the story, God eventually does give them a king. 
And it's a complete disaster. It's terrible for them. Um, the first king that they had was Saul, and he ended up messing a lot of things up. And then David was a pretty good king, but he also stole people's wives and murdered people. Like, these salvation. Like, they, they maybe did a couple good things, but like, they, there was no salvation in them. If you follow on down the line, um, also in verse 3, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation, we know that this family ends up going into captivity to other countries. They go to Assyria and to Babylon, and their kings aren't able to save them. And so as the Israelites are listening to this psalm or this song, they're hearing a reminder that God is supposed to be king and that any, any king that they're going to put their trust in is not going to come through for them eventually. Um, and so that's kind of, of where the, the Israelites were hearing this as well. So moving on to Jesus in his time, the, the family and the nation that was the Israelites kind of gets a little bit smaller and they're just um, Judah now. So this is who we know as like the Jewish people when Jesus is alive. And so they actually had the exact same problem. They were trusting in political powers. And I'll show you why. When, when Jesus came, if we want to go ahead and yeah, roll into the next one. When Jesus came, um, Israel actually knew that there was going to be a Messiah coming. And like all of the prophets had talked about this Messiah that was going to save them. The Jewish people of Jesus' time actually missed who Jesus was. They missed that Jesus was God because they thought that he was going to deliver them politically. They thought, Jesus, um, if he's the Messiah, he's going to save us from the Romans. The Romans were oppressing the Jewish people. They lived under them. And they were like, yes, this guy's going to finally deliver us. That's why like, there's, we have this story around Easter time where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and everyone's praising him and waving these, these palm branches and, and shouting like, yes, like he's, he's coming. And then a week later, the same people are like, yeah, we want to kill this guy. Let's give him the most gruesome death that we can think of. They thought, when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, they thought, yes, he's going he's gonna to overthrow the Romans. He's going to give us political salvation. But the kingdom that Jesus brought, like I said, it isn't political. It's not like we think. We, we tend to put God in these boxes. And this is why we have the, the story of, of like Herod around when Jesus is born. Herod goes and kills all of the newborn Jewish boys because he thought that this Messiah that was coming was going to overthrow his, his throne. So the, the reason that, that the Jewish people of Jesus' time missed him is because they had their mindset on a political salvation that he was going to be bringing. Um, and so the, the cool thing, though, about Jesus is that um, looking at the psalm, if we look at verse 3, it says that in human princes there's no salvation. We know that's true. But we also know that in Jesus there is salvation. We've experienced in our, in our own lives that there is salvation. The other cool thing is in verse 4, it says, When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. That's definitely not the case about Jesus. Jesus conquered death. Jesus was killed in the most gruesome way that you can think of, just about. And he rose again from the grave. So on the day that he died, on the day that his breath departed, his plans didn't perish, right? He rose from the grave and he returned to heaven. And so this is the Jesus that, that we serve. He's bigger than death. He actually can save. So bringing this now to us, looking at us, how do we look at this and, and 
move according to what we see in this. So we are just like the Israelites. We're just like the Jewish people of Jesus' time. We, and myself included, like I said in my story, like we are so ready to give all of our faith and put all of our chips into one side and think my side has all of the answers. We're so ready to do that. Um, and it's, it's really hard for me. Um, like I said, I, I was kind of on one side and then drifted maybe to the other side. It's hard for me to, to not, like even as I, as I try to stay away from just putting all of my trust in one side or the other, it's hard for me to not just swing back and forth, if that makes sense. Um, but we do that. We put our trust in human powers. We have to realize, like it says, there's no salvation in them. That was true back then. It's still true now. And we have to realize that that salvation, that, that making everything right that we're expecting from, um, from our leaders or from whatever political party that we support, it, it's, not, it's going to let us down. Um, and what I'm not saying here, I want to be really clear here because it kind of sounds like maybe I'm saying, let's just stay away from everything. Let's just disengage from anything political. Let's just go and hide in a corner. I, I don't think that's the case. I think that there are things that are very important that are political things that, that we might have arguments about or disagreements about. I think that those are so important. But what I'm talking about is, is giving all of our trust and putting all of our trust in one side or the other so that we're blind to the places where that side is, is weak. Or maybe even we're blind to the places where that side is completely against what God's will is. So, um, yeah, I, I want to look at this. There's this guy named Leslie Newbegin, which is, I think that's a cool last name. Um, but he was a missionary to India. He was, he was from Britain, and he went to India, and he was there for a while. And then when he came back, he found his home country in a completely different place than what it was. And so he writes this book about how the church can have a missionary encounter with their culture. So that means, like, Let's not think about our culture as just like, everyone's a Christian, right? Like, let's think about our culture as we need, to, we need to reach them. We need to show them God's love. And it's kind of like trying to flip the switch. But anyways, he talks about, just briefly, the, the political kind of ideologies that we have in the Western world. So this is like Europe, Western Europe, the United States, Australia. We kind of have this setup where we have this left that's a little bit more... I'm sorry, this left, that, has <laughs> that, um, that is more progressive in their ideas and then this right that is more conservative in their ideas. He talks about the basic impulses behind those. And so um, a lot of times we think, we don't take the time to realize what the other side is motivated by, and we just kind of hear some of the things they're saying and just write them off because we disagree with them. But the, the main motivation over here on the left is mostly for equality. And the, the heart behind that is that everyone would be on the same level. Does that make sense? So that, that nobody's being pushed down, that nobody, um, nobody's voice isn't being heard, right? That, that everyone would just be on the same level. No one gets any privilege. And sometimes when we are in a place of privilege, that feels like, no, you're restricting my freedom. You're pulling me down, right? Sometimes that equality has to come at the 
cost of freedom. And so that makes um, people that are on the more conservative side really uncomfortable because the main impulse there is for freedom, the freedom to have the government out of the things that we're doing, that um, the government would stay out of business and that kind of thing. That's the, the, the main impulse at the heart of, of the right side of things. And so sometimes that freedom, though, comes at the cost of equality. Sometimes when everyone is allowed to do what they want, and there are people that get pushed down because they're weak and they don't have as strong of a voice. Um, and even though they might have that freedom, there, there are systems in place that push them down. So that's kind of the paradigm. If you've noticed... There's three bullet points on each of these sides. The bottom two are copied and pasted from one another. So they're exactly the same thing. Neither of them has everything figured out, right? That's the, the verse three in the psalm. There's no salvation in, in human systems, in human, in human politics. It's not there. They're not going to, to eventually arrive at this place where, yes, we've perfected socialism, or yes, we've perfected capitalism, whatever it is. It, they're not going to ever actually arrive. Looking at there, and the other point is that if, if I'm on one side and I'm looking at the other side, they're not actively trying to destroy me. They're not actively trying to destroy our society. Does that make sense? Is that a fair thing to say? Because, <laughs> I mean, if, if I'm on one side, I, I was never trying to, to actively destroy society. So we have to at least give people the benefit of the doubt, be humble about where we are, and then listen to people that are on the other side of things. And realize that they don't have everything figured out either, but they're not trying to actively destroy us. Even though it might seem like it sometimes, because we're so aggressive towards each other. Um, so I want to jump back into the psalm now. And we're going to look at, we've looked at a human ruler. We've looked at why we shouldn't put our trust in princes, why we shouldn't put our trust in human rulers. So now we're going to look at God. God is completely different, and we're going to look at why we should put our trust in God. So first, looking at Israel, our first lens here. So in verse 5 and 6, we hear about the God who created everything. He made heaven and earth, he made the sea and, and the, uh, no, the sea and everything that's in them, right? The Israelites, just like us, we have the story of Genesis, and we know that God made everything. And so for the Israelites, it would be pretty easy to say, since God made everything, he should probably rule over it. Like, he knows what's best for his creation. He made, he knows how everything is put together so much better than we do. And he knows how it should be. So God has a right to rule over it. But beyond that, God is actually really, really good at ruling over his creation. And that's what we see in verses 7 through 9. So I want you to imagine a politician or a, a ruler of some sort, a king, whatever it is, who does these things. A king who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, um, a, a king who sets prisoners free, a king who opens the eyes of the blind and lifts up those who are bowed down, um, a king who loves the righteous and watches over people that are from other nations, a, a king that um, upholds the widow and the fatherless and actually brings to ruin the ways of the people that are, that are causing the trouble. If there was a king like that who did all of those things, it would be awesome. I would vote for that person, right? Like, I would totally, they would have my vote. And 
I don't know that I've ever really seen anybody that does all of those things. I would be really impressed if I found somebody that had their stuff together enough to do like one or two of those things, um, especially this in verse 6 where it says, who keeps faith forever. That would be amazing if we could find someone in politics who keeps faith forever. That would be great. Um, but I think that's the point. I think we realize that all of these things are not something that a human can do on their own. This is something that only God can do, and that was the case for Israel too. Israel had kings, their neighbors had kings, and they could see these kings aren't doing any of these things. They're stealing people's wives and they're causing wars and stuff. Like, these kings are not great dudes. So, the cool thing about this, this is the part that I really like, is that this isn't just hypothetical. This isn't just like, you know, if God was king, our king's kind of bad, but if God was king, he would do these things and we would really like God if he was our king. This is actually how God governed his people. So before Israel was ever a nation, big enough to be a nation, um, God gave them this thing called the law. And the law is full of these commands and these practices that as God's chosen people, as the people that God is going to bring salvation to the whole world through, they had to do these things. They had to keep these practices so that they could bring salvation to the whole world. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Um, and so... Um, these, these laws, these, these commands that God gives his people, there are commands about setting people free from slavery. So like in verse 7 where it says, the Lord sets prisoners free, they had laws about if someone has been, been uh, working to pay off debt for a certain number of years, at the end of this, this number of years, you let them go whether they've paid off their debt or not. Right? God actually did that. He set people that were, were prisoners and slaves free. God, um, like in verse 9 where it says the Lord watches over sojourners, those are people that are from other countries that are looking for a place to stay. Maybe they're fleeing from persecution of some sort. Right? God gave Israel laws about caring for people that came from other countries looking for refuge. And he told them that you need to, you need to watch over them. You need to make sure that you are hospitable towards them. God gave them laws about watching over widows and the fatherless those are those are the the weakest and the lowest people in the in Israel's society and God God gave them rules about how to do this how to take care of a woman who loses her husband um, the, there's another cool one that I really like in verse 7 <clears throat> where it says God gives food to the hungry God gave the Israelites a practice of harvesting their fields so that they would leave all of the crops that are around the outside he said, leave that so that if there's somebody that's hungry that's passing by your field, they can stop and they can take some of your grain or whatever it is and they, they can be fed. And God was actually taking care of these people that are, that are listed here. He's taking care of the widows through the law that he gives to his people. This is how God governs. So the other really cool thing about this is that I see a lot of things that Jesus did in this psalm as well. So in the story of Jesus, we see him feeding a hillside full of hungry people on a couple different occasions. He gives food to the hungry, like in verse 7. Also in verse 7, the Lord sets the prisoners free. Uh, you might remember stories about people who had demons that were oppressing them. They were in, in bondage and they were in prison with, with this demon, this uh, spiritual force that was on them. And Jesus set them free from that. Um, 
he opens the eyes of the blind. Like in verse 8, Jesus actually does that. We have, have accounts of him doing that as well. Jesus lifts up those who are bowed down. He, he found people that were, that were pushed down by society, found people that were unclean. So those were people that, were, that had sicknesses like leprosy, like things on their skin that made them have to stay away from everybody else. And Jesus actually, he went to them and he, he cared for them. They had to, the lepers had to yell, unclean, unclean, everywhere they went. Like they had to make sure that they were broadcasting the fact that they weren't good enough to be part of normal society. And Jesus went over and he touched them. Jesus does these things. He lifts up those who are bowed down. Jesus, when we look at verse 9, with the Lord watches over the sojourners, Jesus loved on people that were from different countries. He loved on people that were from different ethnicities and even different religions. You see Jesus at a well with a Samaritan woman. She's from a different country. She's from basically uh, an ethnicity that was completely looked down upon in Jesus's day. Um, she has a different religion than Jesus does, and he still loves her. He heals uh, the, the child of a Roman centurion. Um, and so this is somebody else that's actually from a government that's oppressing them. They're from a different country, and they're actually oppressing Jesus' people. And Jesus loves these people. He takes care of them. He watches over the sojourner. And, and that's, that's a foreigner, right? So... I, I love that Jesus does this, and he did it while he was here on earth, but if we look at the lens, the third lens for us, Jesus actually does all of these things for people that are in this room right now. Jesus continues to do these things for us. So the first example that I think of when, when I'm reading this is the one from verse 9 where it talks about the Lord upholding the fatherless. And so there are... A lot of people that go to this church that wouldn't be here if there wasn't a family a long, long time ago that said, we're going to foster this young lady and we're going to make sure that she has a home. And so we, we have the Woods that, that wouldn't be here. Um, Rachel and Leah wouldn't exist if it wasn't for them. Um, and my wife wouldn't be around if God wasn't actually upholding the fatherless. This, this girl, was she was fatherless and she ended up being the great-grandmother of my wife. So we see how, how God is doing this. We see God watching over the fatherless. And this is something we do a lot here at Church Triumphant, but there are a lot of people here who, who have experienced that, who have experienced God watching over them um, when you were fatherless. I know um, that God has provided for people that are here when we were hungry, um, the, the Lord has set, this, this one's cool for me, the Lord has set prisoners free in our actual church. Like there are people in our church that have walked out of prison, right? And, and God has done that. But even beyond that, God has set people in here free from addiction and to bondage to all sorts of things that we never could have gotten free from on our own. So this is the God that we, that we serve. God has opened up some of our eyes. Maybe we were blind to be able to see him. God has opened up our eyes so that we could see his truth. He's, he's lifted up those who are bowed down, like in verse 8. I know that there are some people, and I have felt this way too, that, that sometimes we are so, um, we're underneath such a heavy burden uh, of darkness or of shame, and God actually lifts us up. Like maybe there's some of you 
here today that, that feel like that, that feel like God is lifting you up even though you're bowed down and pressed down. Um, the, there are, um, yeah, I, I know that there are people here this morning, like in verse 9, that are widows and widowers that I have seen God actually upholding in, in their lives. And so I, I, I know that this is true. I know that God is doing these things, even in our church. And so I think that's really amazing that we can actually see God doing all of these things for us. And I want to also, though, issue kind of like a challenge to you all. So to start... Um, before I issue the challenge, though, I want to just talk to you as church triumphant. Um, so I'll start with this. If my wife and I were picking a church that believed everything that we did or that we do and um, thinks about everything the same way that we do and does everything the way that we would do it and met all of our needs, we wouldn't be here at church triumphant. Like that's not why we're here. We're not here um, because of all of that stuff, we're here because we see a family of people who are actually doing the things that this God does, right? We see people in Church Triumphant that are watching after orphans and the fatherless, and so we know that your faith is so real, and we want to be a part of that, um, a part of what's going on here, a part of um, all of the things that we're doing. So we, as Church Triumphant, we have we have folks that are feeding the hungry. We're, we're bringing in bags for, for people to have something to eat. Um, there's people that are, are helping out at Zane Trace. We, we do things for Zane Trace, for the, the kids that are students there. We do things for the staff. Um, this church is um, supporting missionaries that are doing things like watching over refugees. They're, the Van Arsdelens are, are taking care of refugees and sojourners in the Dominican Republic. And the, the Catrons, they are lifting up the people that are oppressed, the people that, that are living in poverty and think that they don't have anything worth giving. They're giving them a livelihood. They're helping them learn how to make soap or raise goats or whatever it is that they're doing through their ministry. So the, these are the things I'm seeing church T do this and so I want to tell you like you're doing so good and our church is doing such a good job um, at following this God we're living like the king the, the king who is God the good king in this psalm is actually king over our lives and so I'm really proud of that I'm really proud of our family here but I also want to push you a little bit further because we're this we're, we're talking about not trusting in princes and we're talking about putting our trust fully in God and I think we can always do better at this and so excuse me um, not only like should we should we be doing these things but we should be really careful about who we are trusting, and who we are looking to to save us outside of this. Um, I, I, I'm afraid that a lot of us, and because we don't talk about politics at church very much, um, that we're being discipled more by the news and by our Facebook feeds more than we're being discipled by our church um, about how we should live and act in the world. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I'm, I, want to, I want to show you this picture of God, right? And I want, I want to show you this is what God's heart is. And I, I don't want to miss, I don't want to get hung up on one thing to where 
we miss doing God's heart in other areas. Does that make sense? My, my thought is, um, this is going to sound really hard. I don't know. We, we value, this is, let me back up. I'm going to give you an example of how neither of the sides has everything figured out. Is that okay? Is, is everyone comfortable with this? I know this is really uncomfortable. Um, there, the, the left, let's back up. This is how God sees people, okay? Human beings. God made human beings in his image. Every person, no matter who they are, where they come from, how old they are, what, what sicknesses they have, no matter what, is made in God's image and reflects his beauty in a very specific way. And God loves every single human being, okay? On the left, I keep going to my left. I need to go to your left. On the left, there are the language that the, the left uses to talk about certain groups of people is really contradictory to, what, to the way that God talks about people. So the left uses words like pregnancy tissue to talk about human beings that are made in God's image. That's dehumanizing. That's not right. I don't think that that's correct, right? Because we believe that, that if there's a human being, they're made in God's image. If you go on the right, um, the right will use words like criminals and rapists and, and murderers to talk about people that are trying to come into our country. And I don't think using those words, um, I think using those words shows th- on both sides that there is a part of us that doesn't see people as people. Does that make sense? Are you feeling that? And I, I think that, I think that what God is showing us here is that he cares about those people. He cares about the people that are, that are oppressed, that are pushed down low, that don't have a voice for themselves, just like the unborn. God cares about that human life. God cares about the human life that is a sojourner, that is uh, someone who's seeking refuge. And we find that not just in the psalm, but like I said, through God's law. And so that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from on this. So... As we're thinking about leaders and the way that, that we do politics, because I, like I said, I don't think we should just disengage from politics. There are things in our world that need to change. There are things that, um, that, we, that we can't do on our own, right? There are, there are systems that are outside of the realm of what the church itself can reach. But, um, but as we're thinking about the way, that we, the way that we vote and the way that we practice in politics. Um, looking at the psalm, if there is a leader who lets powerful people just exploit the poor, then they aren't godly and we shouldn't trust them. Uh, if there's somebody that is neglecting, caring for orphans and the most vulnerable people, then we shouldn't, we shouldn't trust that person. They're not godly. If there is a, is a politician or a leader who's promoting hatred and fear towards people who are seeking refuge in our country from other countries, they're not godly. We shouldn't support them. Uh, if there's a leader that judges and abandons people who need freedom from their bondage, we shouldn't put our trust in them. They're not being godly because they're, they're completely against what, what the God and the psalm is saying. So... To finish, I want to come back to those ideas, if you remember, of, um, of equality and of freedom. So we're going to look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8, and this is our, the last one. Yep. Um, 
This is a letter that Paul is writing. He's in prison, and he's writing to this church that he has mentored and watched grow. And he's reminding them, this is what Jesus did for you. He has saved you through his grace. And there wasn't anything that you had to do for it. Um, He just loves you so much that he saved you. Um, But he says, now that you have been saved, now that, now that you do have Christ um, living in you, this is how you should live. This is how you should think. So he says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, <clears throat> Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So coming back to the ideas of equality and of freedom, we we see this picture of Jesus of this is what he did in his life. Paul is summarizing what Jesus did and how he lived. And on, on one hand, we see that Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's what Paul says about Jesus. So we know that equality is not what we were made for. Like I said, we could get for other people, but I, at the end of the day, even if I am equal with everybody else, I will never be satisfied. That's not what's going to satisfy. That's not what's going to save everyone. We're talking about salvation, right? There's no salvation in that. Jesus also became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus restricted his freedom and allowed God to tell him what to do. Jesus says, we're not made for freedom. We're not made for equality. We're made for something different. Those things aren't going to satisfy us. Again, if there's, if there's a group of people that we're seeing, wow, they're not treated, they're treated worse than everybody else, then we should do our best to make sure that they're treated equal. Or if there's a group that has, has no freedom, we should make sure that they have the, the freedom to, to do um, good, right? But neither of those things are actually going to save any individual. They're not going to save a group of people. And... Um, Jesus actually talks about what we really are made for. Jesus says that eternal life, and that's the thing that we're all looking for, eternal life is that we would know Jesus and that we would know the Father that sent him. That knowing is like the same way that I know my wife or that someone might know a best friend. And that's what we're really made for. We're not made to, to be free and to, to be able to do whatever we want. We're not made to, to be the same as everybody else or equal with everybody else. We're made to know God and to actually be obedient to him, to learn from God, learn what, what the good life is like. And that's, that's how we get, the, get fulfillment in, in this world. Like God um, saves us into his kingdom and, and that's how we um, are able to, to get fulfillment. Those, that freedom and that equality, neither of those things are going to actually save us and make things the way that they're supposed to be. And so beyond that, even looking at this and looking at Jesus' example, we should be... Um, I, I heard it said, someone was referencing this verse that Jesus had so much privilege, right? Jesus was God. He had everything that he could want. 
he, he could do anything that he wanted to, but he actually gave that up. And, and he, he stepped into our world, and he actually became the lowest kind of person. He became this nobody carpenter in the middle of nowhere, and he, he became a servant to everybody. So he, he was challenging, this, this guy that I was listening to, he was challenging himself to, to listen to people, and when, when he hears things like white privilege, instead of being defensive and saying, no, that's, that's not a real thing, like white privilege isn't a thing, actually take the time to listen and hear, this might be an opportunity to be like Jesus. Jesus had privilege and he gave it up. So maybe if I, if I have privilege, if I realize that, um, you know, that the average white family has 10 times more uh, wealth than the average black family in our country, then maybe I should, maybe I should listen and say, I have this privilege. Um, I should try to figure out how I can learn from other people and, and give up my privilege so that I can serve them and be a servant to them. If I hear, you know, women get paid less or women aren't treated the same at work and, and you know, whatever it is, the, the women are treated as less, I shouldn't hear that and become defensive and be like, no, that's not true. Like, everyone's the same. Like, it's fine. I should listen to that and say, okay, what can I do to give up my privilege and to become a servant to other people that aren't like me? And so that's, that's what we see Jesus doing. He, he becomes a servant to everybody. We're not made uh, to have privilege. We're not made to have safety even. We're made to follow Jesus, and it's a very radical, upside-down kind of thing. He wants us to serve other people and to listen to them and to hear from them. And uh, he wants us to, to be a, a part of his kingdom, to order our lives in the way that he would have us order it. So I've said a lot of things about like doing stuff. Don't hear, you have to do stuff to be saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has rescued us into this kingdom. It's real and it's here. It's us. Like We are the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does all of these things that are in the psalm. And so we should be doing them too. And, and we are in a lot of ways and we can always be doing more. And, and so to finish, we shouldn't put our trust in human princes because there's no, there's no salvation in them. Human politics, human parties, powers, nothing like that is ever going to save us. But uh, salvation is only in Jesus. And with, if we look at the way that he says the world should run, he, when he talks about, the, the orphan and the widow being cared for, and the prisoners being set free. If we look at the way that he says the world should be run, um, we will find that, that God is working and that God is actually bringing salvation. He's making things the way that they should be. So my admonishment to you, my encouragement, is that you would not trust, that you would not put your trust in human powers, but instead, you would put your trust in Jesus because he is the only one that can save. So um, I know that this might be like a very controversial thing. I am prepared for that. <laughs> um, but but I, I want to talk to you. If, you. if you heard something that I said this morning about it, I would love to, to talk to you, especially if we disagree, because I think we need to be doing more of that, to listen to people that we disagree with. And that's what the church is. The church isn't... Um, 
It isn't a group of people who all look alike and and talk alike and and believe all the same things. That's not what the church is. The church is people from all different backgrounds and and from everywhere being being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And so if I have a brother or sister that is, is part of the church, that I disagree with, I want to, instead of pushing them down and, and talking bad about them or whatever it is, I want to hear what they have to say, hear the motivations behind what they believe, and learn from that, and develop my own sense of things from that. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.